0: sex workers I think this is equally harrowing right because it's not just about the person whose face is being swapped but it's the body they're being swapped onto right and I think there's a lot of trauma for sex workers of knowing that their bodies are being used essentially as vessels for abuse it's important not to trivialise that their agency is also being you know robbed in these situations too
1: The deepfake detection platform, Sense City, came out with a report in 2019 that 96% of the deepfakes on the internet are pornographic. And out of that, 90%, another 100% of them are women. Deepfakes are a modern form of synthetic media created by two competing AIs with the goal of replicating hyper-realistic videos, images, and voices. Over the past five years, this has led to major concerns of the technology being used to spread mis- disinformation, carry-out, fraudulent cybercrimes, tamper with human rights evidence, and most importantly, in relation to this episode, create non-consensual pornography. We are very lucky to have with us Henry Ager, who is not only responsible for the Sensity Report that came out in 2019, but is a seasoned expert on the topic of deepfakes and synthetic media. He is currently the Head of Policy and Partnership at Metaphysic, at Metaphysical and also co-authored the report Deep Trace, The State of Deep Fakes, while at Sensity. This was the first major report published to map the landscape of deep fakes and found out that the overwhelming majority are used in pornography. He is also a graduate of the University of Cambridge and is an experienced speaker, frequently presenting keynotes, panels and private briefings. He's also an established media contributor, regularly featuring on the BBC, the New York Times, Vox, The Guardian, Wired and the Financial Times, and is currently the lead on synthetic futures. I am Mariam Tinbeer, the podcast host for declarations from the Centre of Governance and Rights, and today we have Nima Jeshing, studying education policy and international development at the University of Cambridge, who will be leading the conversation. Over to you, Nima. Hi, Henry. It's really nice
2: to meet you. To you. Thank you so much for making the time to speak with us today. So, deep fakes is a very interesting topic. So, for our listeners, I was wondering if you could maybe briefly summarize what this technology is and how this has really lent itself towards non-consensual pornography.
0: Sure. So deep fakes can be described, I guess, in a more neutral sense as AI-generated synthetic media. And that is a use of typically deep neural networks. And deep learning algorithms to generate highly realistic synthetic videos, audio, images, text, any kind of media essentially. Um, and deep fakes as a kind of sub-genre or subcategory of synthetic media typically refers to malicious uses of the technology, um, which emerged, as you mentioned, in non-consensual pornography, or is how I tend to describe it as deepfake image abuse.
2: Okay, so initially these AIs were trained on large visual data sets, so celebrities were predominantly the targets, but is this still the case in uh, the field?
0: Yeah, so when when deepfakes first emerged in late 2017, this um, appeared on a subreddit of the same name, that's where the term was first coined as well, by a username also of um, uh, deepfakes, so that's where the uh, term was first coined. Um, and this subreddit was exclusively dedicated to using open source software um, to swap female celebrities' faces into pornographic footage. Um, and at the time, the technology was very clunky, so to speak. Um, these were kind of uh, algorithms that were being put together from a Google open source library, Um And as a result, it was quite technically difficult to use. You had to have some proficiency in computer programming. You had to have fairly uh, strong computer hardware, GPU processing. Um, And also you needed a lot of data to get some fairly crude results, although they were still clearly the individual who was being swapped. Whereas if you fast forward to today, the landscape has changed quite dramatically. Insofar as the tools for creating deepfakes in the image abuse context have become much more accessible, much more gamified so you have a lot of web apps and sometimes you have actually kind of smartphone apps that have this functionality. Um, You need much less data, the models are often pre-trained which means that they've already had a lot of data run through them essentially so that you only need in some cases one image or only several images in the case of video Um, and the victims are also changing so we're now seeing as you know perhaps unsurprisingly as it becomes more accessible people are no longer focusing as much on um, celebrities and moving more towards private individuals that they know in their day-to-day life. Um, And this has led to just a huge scaling of the number of victims and, uh, I guess, images and videos being created. Um, You know, when I first started researching this space back in 2019, um, or in 2018, but uh, released this report I wrote in 2019, we found the number of deepfake videos was just under 15,000. If we fast forward to today with the advent of these really accessible apps, we're talking about likely millions of of predominantly female victims, almost all female victims. So the landscape has really changed um, away from celebrities um, to private individuals, although celebrities are still heavily targeted.
2: That's horrible. But um, so speaking about the fact that there are millions of victims and predominantly female, what kind of actions do you think can be taken to help regulate uh, deep fakes? Uh, something that countries often have difficulty with is banning deep fakes. Uh, do you think they should? Do you think this is a possible uh, reality that we can live in?
0: So the idea of regulating and perhaps even banning deep fakes is a really difficult kind of challenge for several reasons. One being that what is again a deepfake, right? How do we define what this technology actually is? Are we talking about the baseline technology itself? Are we talking about the malicious use of the technology in a specific way? Um, because if we're talking about the former, if you try and ban deepfakes fakes as I mentioned at the beginning, in terms of synthetic media, well, suddenly a lot of different things come under that remit, right? We're talking about computational photography in your smartphone camera. We're talking about potentially different kinds of VFX, which is used in entertainment or advertising or films and things like this. Um, We're talking about Snapchat filters, right? All of these different technologies, which use the very same underlying neural networks predominantly. Um, And so banning the technology itself is a a bit of a sticky kind of challenge to get to get stuck in right because you've got so many different applications um that would get kind of caught in the in the crossfire so to speak of trying to trying to ban deepfakes if we're talking about deep fakes in terms of malicious uses and going after you know specific uh applications in image abuse or disinformation or types of different um cyber attacks that's perhaps a slightly better way to go about it but then there's the problem of well okay you can put these laws in place And say, well, okay, it's now a criminal act or we can allow for civil, um, you know, um, civil um, litigation around these uses. Um, But you've got to identify the individual, right? You've got to know who it is that's doing this, which in the Internet or on the Internet is a really difficult thing to do. Um, And then you've also got to, you know, likely have them in your jurisdiction to be able to actually bring them to justice, right? which, again, with the internet being a a fundamentally global kind of space, is is incredibly difficult. And so there's a lot of laws being considered around the world. And again, this is a really global problem, right? This is not just a a problem affecting, you know, white Westerners. This is something which is affecting a lot of um, women in Japan, in Korea, Brazil. Um, It is truly a global issue. Um, And laws are being considered in all of these different places um, in the US as well at the federal and state level. Um, as well as here in the UK. Um, but there's a real question as to whether these laws give people false hope if they're passed and enacted, but they actually can't really be used to to do anything, right? Um and, and you know how that kind of gives victims a false sense of security or or kind of you know recourse to justice when actually they can't be properly enacted. So I think there are definitely important aspects of legislation that we need to be to be considering. But you've also got to consider, well, what what can this actually do in practice, right? Um, how can this actually tackle the issue? Or is this just something which sounds kind of nice and uh, is, a, is a moral position that the government is taking, but ultimately is toothless when it comes to, ca- uh, to tackling the problem?
2: As a student or a listener, what can we do to kind of help bring forth this issue or to protect our own rights as individuals?
0: Yeah, so I think when talking about deepfake image abuse, it's it's a challenge to get the right balance between acknowledging the how difficult it is to really address this issue. Right, um, as I said, I've been working in this space for a long time. I've worked with victims, worked with with legislators to try and help them understand the problem and what they can do about it. Um, and unfortunately. I wouldn't, cynical is maybe the wrong word, but I I really struggle to see how we can truly stop this problem. Um, I don't think, unfortunately, it's the case anymore that we're going to be able to kind of eradicate it completely right or or completely um, remove it from online spaces. Um, The nature of the Internet and the nature of the technologies are such that when one app is maybe taken down or is blocked, another one will just spring up in its place. Um, and because the apps are now incredibly data efficient, it is at the point where, particularly for women online, you know, if there's one photo of you on your social media, there is a chance that someone could use that against you to create some of this content. And again, moving forward, as the technology becomes even more sophisticated, it may require even less data to create even more sophisticated outputs. Um, so, when the most Common versions of fake image abuse at the moment is what are called nudifying apps or synthetic stripping apps, where you can take an image of a woman and um, run it through this algorithm and it essentially translates the style to as if they were wearing no clothes. Um and this is arguably the biggest use of deep image abuse right now. And ultimately there are there are tens, if not hundreds, of different applications of this of this nudifying technology. Um and um, yeah, it, it requires very little data to 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 create the content. And so there's this problem, right, of saying, well, okay, what can we do? Well, we can say, you know, this is possible. But then you have the same, the problem, particularly again, as a gendered issue of being like, well, to be safe online, women just can't upload any photos of themselves, right? And that's obviously the wrong emphasis. Um, but it's it's kind of also the sort of the reality of the situation in the sense that if you do have images of yourself online, then potentially you could be targeted. Um, and so as, as students, and that's an area that I'm particularly worried about because again, young people are typically a little bit more tech savvy, a little bit more aware of these technologies. You see people creating, you know, kind of some of the novelty face swapping applications where you can put yourself in Titanic or the Avengers or something, right? People are much more aware of this when they're typically younger. And I worry on the same lines that actually this means that in schools or in higher education, um, younger people are particularly vulnerable, particularly young women, to being targeted in this way. Um, and what we can do about it is really, it's, it's a really big challenge. I think awareness is key. I think awareness and changing the dynamic of the conversation around fake image abuse is key. A lot of people talk about it as if it's not a big problem right now, which is the case for some of the disinformation and cybersecurity worries, right? Where people think it's a really significant established issue when it's not. Whereas with image abuse, it really is. This is the, by far and away the most the most prominent malicious use. Um, and I think there's quite a lot of communities online that still see using these apps as like a bit of fun or like memeing or it's like, oh, it's clearly not real, so it can't do harm. So I think changing that narrative and making it clear that this is a form of digital sexual violence is key. Um, but when it comes to what, what people can do, it's very challenging to give people a sense of like agency and concrete goals that they can try and achieve to reduce risk or tackle the problem um, without that turning into a quite reductive conversation around, well, this technology is here, it's not going away, and If you're present online in any digital sense, there's a chance you could be targeted. So it's a really challenging question.
2: Do you think that proper sexual health education or having these conversations in educational settings could be beneficial to raising the point of awareness for students?
0: I, I mean, it's inexcusable, but I think, again, there is this culture, particularly on some of these kind of like dark corners of the Internet where a lot of this activity goes on, of people again, thinking that it's, it's a, it's a bit of fun or, you know, that they're, they're kind of doing this in a way which is like, Oh, I'm not harming anyone. Right. Like I'm not doing anything wrong. Um, you know, it's clearly fake. Um, you know, I fantasize about people, right? So what's the difference between fantasizing about someone and creating a fake image. And there's a lot of kind of very fallacious thinking in, in my, like my view about, about how this, um, how does technology is used and the harms that it causes, and i think education is is certainly one way to to um you know to to bring to bring those quite egregious ways of thinking to a, to a point where we can maybe try and correct them um in combination with just broader awareness again that this is digital sexual abuse this is this is something which may not be explicitly criminal in many countries and this is where the laws can do something right um but you know hopefully will soon be and i think that's the that's the key with the legal frameworks is that if you remove any ambiguity around what people are doing even if it's still hard to bring them to justice or to to identify the individuals getting rid of any ambiguity and then educating people around well okay this is this technology this is what it does and this is exactly why it's wrong is is key um but 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 i think you know again it's 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 the situation where a lot of the um applications aren't hyper realistic but it still does a huge amount of damage to individuals even if people know it's fake right like people aren't creating uh deep fakes of famous female celebrities in Hollywood because they think it looks real they're doing it because they want to kind of objectify and, and you know effect- effectively turn that that person into a sexual object for their for their pleasure And so I think yeah kind of really trying to drive home that these ways of thinking aren't justifiable is, is key, especially in those younger generations who are perhaps more likely to have access or to understand how the technology works.
2: On the topic of young children and youths, I was just wondering if you could maybe tell us a little bit about how there has been, a or if there has been a proliferation of child pornography and the deep, Uh, fake space and if we could maybe get into how do the lines blur so for Mm -hmm. example if we're having an adult's body but a child's face is that still how does how do the legalities fall on this department
0: yeah that's that's a great question um and it's something that i have um i have identified in in my research is um with again these uh nudifying apps we identified on one Ecosystem on Telegram back in uh, 2020, um, images of clearly very young girls being targeted by this technology, um, and on the dark web there are forums and communities who, as you mentioned, are doing face swapping, um, where uh, young, you know, children's faces or you know teenage faces are being swapped into scenes either on other teenagers or on adult bodies. Um, the legality of it, again, is somewhat ambiguous, depending on where you are. Some countries, um, for example, make it illegal to draw or draw cartoons of child pornography, right? Whereas others um, don't have explicit legislation around that. Um, and I think, you know, again, it all comes down to intent, right? Um, what What is the intended kind of use or audience? Um, I think quite clearly for me, you know, um, if the baseline of creating you know deep fake image abuse is criminal it doesn't really matter of the age but obviously it could make it a significantly worse offense right even if it's still an offense on on the baseline um in terms of what other countries are doing so i think australia has that law around um drawing cartoons and i think by that by extension this would be covered in the same way um but in terms of you know it's it's not it's not so prominent right that there's a huge amount of discourse around it right now um but it's certainly a threat vector as i would say that i'm deeply concerned about again if we come back to the context of of young young adults creating image abuse of other young adults or or, or children right um we've seen those kinds of uh Difficult questions come up where young uh, young adults or, or or teenagers are sharing nudes of themselves with other people, and actually legally that counts as sharing, you know, child pornography. Um, and we have a similar dynamic here, where if someone is bullying someone at school or wants to embarrass or humiliate them, and they create this kind of content, they're actually committing an offence, which is far more severe than perhaps again is in is intended. Um, because of the context of who's creating it and for what reasons. But bottom line is, this is a problem. I imagine, again, it will get worse as the technology and surrounding technologies get more sophisticated. Um, and the legality around it isn't clear. It's not a uniform approach globally, um, but is one where I think, you know, it's it's quite clear there's some catching up to do around how we frame um, deepfake image abuse when it comes to targeting children, for sure.
2: So I was just wondering if we could talk about the other side uh, of this whole issue, which is about the field of sex work in itself and how that might be changing due to the proliferation of deep fakes.
0: Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I'm not. So I, I think there are some there are some interesting questions here around, for example, can and again this is where you know deep fake image abuse i used to refer to what is often referred to as deep fake pornography or non-consensual deepfake fake pornography i use image abuse because i think you know revenge pornography or or pornography in general has has connotations which we want to avoid and we want to talk about this explicitly as a as a malicious and and often you know criminal act um in the context of um sex work there are some really interesting questions around well can you actually create like legitimate deep fake pornography for example if a sex worker wanted to license their face um, to be used in certain scenes um, where pe- people are paying for that service right um, there are some interesting questions around that and by the same token services that maybe allow you to put your face into um, certain scenes for example where all Actors are consenting both in the scene and who you are being swapped onto. Um, and again, there's no there's no doubt in my mind that that will emerge at some point. People will try and create legitimate forms of of deepfake pornography. Um, the questions for me, which come more generally towards most applications of of deepfakes and synthetic media, is is there a way that those systems can be built which removes the high chance of misuse, right, and whether that, you know that there is a situation where the risk of misuse um, doesn't outweigh the potentially legitimate use cases, right? So we've seen this with um, you know novelty face swapping apps, as I mentioned before, where you can put your face into kind of movie scenes or into music videos and stuff like this. Um, and when these apps don't have these kind of on rails setups, right, where there's pre video that you can select, but it's a it's a defined set of videos those have then been misused, right? So, you know, if you if you make an app or a, a, a service too open, it becomes rife for misuse. And I guess in the, you know, potentially um non-malicious applications of deepfake pornography, that's a really serious question, right? It's can you build these systems or these tools in a way that avoids misuse? I would typically think that it would be very difficult to do so unless it was a highly bespoke service where you got informed consent from all parties involved with evidence and maybe even biometric verification, right. That the individuals had, you know, confirmed and consented. Um, But then there's also, you know, there's also, yeah, I mean, for sex workers, I think this is equally harrowing, right. Because it's not just about the person whose face is being swapped, but it's the body they're being swapped onto. Right. And I think there's a lot of trauma for sex workers of knowing that their bodies are being used essentially as vessels for abuse um, you know, that, you know, it's important not to trivialize that their agency is also being you know, robbed in these situations, too. And so I think, you know, as I said, I think it's inevitable that some people will try and create, you know, quote unquote, legitimate versions of deep fake pornography. It's whether that can be done in a way which is safe and avoids misuse um and also there needs to be a broader conversation around well how are sex workers affected by malicious uses of the technology where yeah their bodies are effectively used as again as vessels for for abusing non consenting women um and so it's a, it's a really interesting and again quite quite uncertain space right now but one that i'm sure will continue to evolve as the problems continue to evolve
2: It really does bring up the question of then what about the ethics behind it? Because for a sex worker, this is their form of profession. And if their body is being marketized in ways that they have not consented for, it is an infringement on their work and their livelihood. So that does bring up a lot of questions about how they can progress from that point onwards and make a living for themselves as well. Um, right. So Henry, thank you so much. Uh, I was just wondering if you could maybe tell other listeners a little bit about what you're currently doing and a little bit about your research.
0: Certainly. Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm currently working for a company, um, called Metaphysic, which is a company, which is actually generating, uh, synthetic media in a hyper real context. So trying to create basically indistinguishable quality synthetic media, um, but with the aim of using this in entertainment, in advertising, in, um, you know, applications around VR, AR and, um, you know, I, I, dare I use the word metaverse applications. Um, but with an emphasis on trying to do this responsibly and ethically. Um, we genuinely think that there is a lot of kind of exciting and creative uses of the technology, which um, understandably in a lot of cases are put on the, on you know, Um, you know, put to one side when we're dealing with the very severe and very significant malicious uses. But again, I think one of the points I'd really want to emphasize to your listeners is that, you know, synthetic media is, is here, right? Um, Again, the idea of banning synthetic media, isn't a very useful kind of conversation. Um, And there are lots of uses, which we can legitimately be excited about in creative spaces, you know, the artistic world are really grabbing uh, synthetic media for really fascinating works uh, musicians are using it in ways to kind of help like create instruments from their voice um again the film industry has been using vfx for decades right um and this is essentially an extension of of, of vfx and so in metaphysic that's what we're trying to do is to try and help create a uh, a vision essentially of how synthetic media can be used ethically and responsibly um and i'm helping to shape that kind of ethical um vision that the company is 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 uh is dedicated to I also run a community initiative called Synthetic Futures, which is, again, an extension of that, that aim is to uh, kind of bring all of the stakeholders in the space together to um, celebrate kind of those, again, those creative and ethical uses whilst also addressing the malicious uses and the harms that might arise in unexpected contexts. Um, Again, we've got, you know, we're we're dealing with an incredibly powerful technology here, which we don't really fully understand its its potential fully right now. This is still very nascent as a technology, right? And so synthetic futures is bringing together people to have those often difficult conversations and also to sort of showcase responsible uses. And then, yeah, when, when it comes to my research, you know, I started off working um, for an organisation that was working on deepfake detection, predominantly trying to identify malicious uses um, in disinformation, cyber security and image abuse. Um, and whilst there, I did a lot of research trying to map the landscape as it was emerging very rapidly, right? Um, it was a space that there was a lot of, um, well, still is a space where there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of panic, which is, again, justified in a lot of senses. But I tried to do work that really sort of made the landscape clear to people to help them, whether they're lawmakers or media organisations or potentially even victims, right, understand how it all fit together. Um, and I guess one of the most notable findings from research I did in 2019 was that 96% of deepfake videos online were pornographic, right, With these forms of non-consensual image abuse. That statistic roughly stays the same today if we're talking about video. Um, and I've also done a lot of work researching specific applications in the image abuse space. As mentioned earlier, this Telegram uh, ecosystem, which radically changed the landscape of accessibility for image abuse tools, and how that then changed victim profiles, and also the global um, spread of the technology. Um, and in, and more recently, I wrote a report with uh, the human rights organization Witness and MIT, looking at deepfake satire, which is a really interesting space for the human rights um, context. Where deepfake satire is a growing and, and, and legitimate form of the technology, which is used to critique authoritarian regimes or leaders, um, but then can also be misused and can be uh, used in clumsy ways where it's not clear that it's fake or consent is not got um is not granted by the, the irrelevant people um, and feeds into disinformation and uh, kind of gaslighting in disinformation space where people say, hey, I was just joking, when actually the intent was always malicious. So, I, I, you know, I've I kind of done lots of different work on all different sides of the sort of synthetic media and deep fake space, both kind of trying to combat explicit malicious uses to then now shaping more responsible uses.
2: Wow, that sounds really amazing, Henry. Speaking about uh, image abuse and your research, I was just wondering, how would we know if we have been abused? Is there any or if our images have been abused? Is there any way of finding out?
0: Yeah, so unfortunately, not really. Um, And this was one of the really startling findings from this report on Telegram I I did at this investigation was that through using reversed image search tools, we were able to basically find the original images of these victims. And again, these were being shared openly in these community forums on Telegram um, or being spat out in an automated sense by the algorithm as they were generated into just a, a kind of a general channel with hundreds of thousands of images. And we were able to track these back to people's social media profiles, to their maybe their profile pictures on LinkedIn. Um, some clearly, as well, coming from private correspondence, um, or maybe on closed uh, messaging apps. Um, and there was no doubt that the vast majority of these people had no idea they were targeted. Um, having worked with some victims who do know they've been targeted. Um, they've typically learned about that through that being shared in a malicious way to try and humiliate or silence or, you know, um, undermine. Um, and in those contexts, obviously, it's, it's just it's utterly, you know, utterly destroys these people, right? Um, you know, again, it robs them of their sense of agency. It, it kind of it just messes with your sense of reality, right? Because you know, that's not you, but it looks so much like you. It's such a viscerally awful experience to have. Um, and so, you know, those victims are incredibly brave, you know, they're survivors, right? And, um, you know, they, they have to live knowing that that content is out there and it's incredibly hard to get rid of it. One of the most depressing findings that kind of came from, from this research was that victims have a better chance of getting content taken down from the major pornography platforms by trying to get the, um, the owner of the original scene or footage to file a DMCA claim, which is a Digital Millennium uh, Millennium Copyright Act claim, to get the video taken down on copyright grounds, as opposed to going to the platform and saying, I'm essentially getting digitally raped in this, in this video, right? Um, so a lot of victims don't know that they've been targeted unless it's being used in an explicitly weaponized sense against them. And even when they do know, there's this awful sense of powerlessness for a lot of them to actually get the content taken down so it's again it's it's a really it's a really bleak situation right now for a lot of victims um and one that i hope will improve and i hope more resources will become available to support these people uh, and predominantly these women um but right now it's again it's all going on in these kind of dark corners of the uh, of the internet and um you know a lot of people are creating this not to share but to consume personally right and there are some interesting legal questions around what um what um certain uk legislators call the the they call it a make a simple making offence right without the intent to share whether that should be criminalized in the same sense as intentionally sharing um i think it should um but yeah there's a lot of questions around that which just add to this sort of um quagmire of of awful pain for for victims
2: out of curiosity uh henry if you don't mind me asking so we spoke a lot about women uh i was just wondering in your experiences what about men are there any interesting emerging trends um in deep these days
0: yeah so it, it's, it's just crucial to emphasize again, that you know, the vast majority of victims are women. And indeed, in a lot of cases, the technologies are actually developed in such a way that they cannot be used on men, right? These synthetic stripping apps only work on women's bodies, right? Because what they do is they translate the image in a way that then essentially inserts female, female body parts, right? Genitalia and breasts, typically. Um, whereas for men, obviously, different uh anatomy uh um you know so so that the algorithm would have to be tuned in a way that it isn't in these cases um and so these tools are explicitly designed for you know abuse against women having said that there is definitely deep fake image abuse out there of men um and predominantly this is occurring in the uh gay pornography space right where um you know and again talking about things in a global context, um, although almost certainly here in the UK, right, where there is still a lot of stigma and uh, homophobia, um, but in, in certain global contexts where, you know, homosexuality is criminalised or still a, a taboo, um, you know, there have been cases, uh, alleged cases, at least, I haven't seen or, or verified footage um, of, of men being targeted in this way, again, to, to you know, humiliate or potentially to even incriminate Right. Um, and so men are by no means, you know, invulnerable. You know, invulnerable to to this problem, um, and um, I think again we will see an increase in, in in uses in this way as the tools become more accessible. Right, face swapping right now is still fairly hard to do well. There aren't many tools out there which are really easy to use and require very little data. Although I did an investigation with MIT Tech Review last year that found a tool that was doing exactly that. So, yeah, men right now, significantly less men being targeted, but again, no less harm. And in some cases, actually potentially more serious consequences in countries where homosexuality is 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 still, you know, a criminal act or is, is seen as a deep societal taboo.
2: Thank you so much, Henry. This has been a very informative conversation. Just before we wrap up, I was wondering, is there anything you would like to leave our listeners with today?
0: yeah i I think we've covered we've covered most of it I mean I think you know as I've touched on several times in this conversation I think there's this this difficult balance between being hopeful that we can do something about this problem right and that we can we can work towards you know meaningful societal change and attitudinal change around this problem with also the recognition that again this technology is a bit like a Pandora's box right it's now out there. Um open source code can be replicated in many cases without needing even the source material to begin with. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of really unpleasant people out there who are going to continue to do this. Um, I think for me, there's you know, there there's something to be said about trying to create friction around these tools, right? Um and there's a reason why child pornography or other illicit activity gets driven onto the dark web in places like this. Um, and I guess for me, one thing I think would be actually a good thing is if these technologies move from places like Reddit or 4chan or dedicated forums, which are on the open web, to these to the dark web, because it creates friction, it again reinforces the taboo and criminal nature of the activity. Um, and I guess some people would see that as kind of a bit of a cop out. But for me, I think being... You know pragmatic with this incredibly challenging problem that's one of our best bets so I think yeah trying to help people understand the problem educate young people about it particularly and sort of drive it into the dark corners of the internet where it belongs and making it clear that people engage with it are committing criminal acts is is key um but yeah I think that that's more or less it
2: okay thank you so much Henry this was
1: fascinating thank you so much for your time
0: Thank you. Pleasure.
1: We would like to give a big thanks to Henry for making the time to speak to us and for giving us such useful insights. Policy and change in the field of deep fakes can seem to be a bit bleak for now, but if we all raise awareness and are informed by our rights, this may hopefully change in the future. Thank you so much for listening to Declarations. Signing off. Bye-bye.